Well, that was awesome, children. What a great thing to tell us about Jesus is alive. In fact, why don't everyone turn to your neighbor right now and tell them Jesus is alive. I sense there's a theme tonight. Jesus is alive. He is the reason for the season. That's right. I'll start it. You finish it. Together we'll preach the message. Well, good evening and Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. I guess we can say that, right? We are so grateful to be together and to celebrate something that is much greater than some natural, physical thing that just easily perishes and passes away. But a, an eternal truth that is the rock that we're built on. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about why He came. Um, before we look at the end result, because really Christmas is not about a baby. Right? I know sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, sweet baby Jesus, this or that. And I'm like, well, He's not a baby and He's alive. He was a baby. Thank God that He came as a gift. And Jen already um, mentioned you know, that the greatest act of love is giving. In John 3.16, God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. And He gave that which was most precious, most valuable to Himself. He gave all for you and I and to reap all as well. He deserves all our praise. He deserves all that we can do and the lives that we can live for Him. So if you would, you can turn in your Bible if you didn't bring one. I'll just read to you. You can follow along on the screen. And go over to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read out of Matthew, I'm going to read out of Luke, and I'm just going to read the Christmas story, and I'll make a few comments as we go through it. <clears throat> After um, the mini-sermon, I'll call it, we're going to have communion together, um, I'm going to invite Apostle Dale to speak to us, as well as we have... Um, some gifts for you at the end of the service. So nobody decide to leave early because you'll leave without the gift. All right, Matthew chapter 1, and let's look in verse 18. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll go back and read Mary's side of this here in a little bit, but this is kind of coming at it from Joseph's point of view. Verse 19, so her, her man is the word. Some, some translations have translated that husband, but the word husband and the word man is all the same word in the Bible, and so you have to look at um, context to understand who it was. Well, we know they weren't married yet at this point, so it would probably be more appropriate to say her man, Right? Her betrothed, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Well, you can't much blame him, right? Your bride-to-be shows up, says she's pregnant, and oh, it was the Holy Ghost, right? So he's like, yeah, I'm out, and um, let's see what happens next. Verse 20, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, 
son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So see, already we begin to see purpose. Purpose being laid out as to why he was coming, to save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And he quotes prophet Isaiah. It says, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. I love that verse. God with us. That's, that's in God's name. With you. Isn't that exciting? You know, when Jesus promised before His ascension, you know, fast forward to later in the story when He's been crucified and resurrected and before He ascends to to heaven, He tells the disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. And He is, this is a long, rich history of this being prophesied in Scripture. And here, once again, it's prophesied God with us. Jesus is God with us. Look at your neighbor and say, God with us. That's in his name, Emmanuel. All right, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to her firstborn, and he named him Jesus. Now, let's go over to, we'll come back here in a minute, but let's first go to Luke and look at Luke's account. Luke chapter 2, chapter 1. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Now, in the beginning of the chapter is where the angel comes and has the conversation about John the Baptist being uh, that that his Zechariah, the parents, were going to be pregnant and John the Baptist was going to be on the scene. And so this has all already happened. Now, in the sixth month of the pregnancy with John the Baptist, it says in verse 26 of Luke 1, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth, she was the one who was pregnant with John the Baptist. Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. She didn't have any other children. She couldn't have children. So that was a miracle also. 
says, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. You know, that right there is a key verse in, in the entire story. That she submits to the will of God, to the lordship of God, and says, okay, be it unto me according to your word. And you know, the Bible is full of examples of people that believed God. The simple gospel. You know, the gospel, gospel means good news, right? If you haven't been in church much, when you hear people use the word gospel, the word gospel simply means good news. And it is good news that Jesus came and we have God with us. And that good news many times is, is complicated by humans. But in, in truth, it is very simple. It's easy to believe. And it is a basic truth that even a child can understand. So don't allow people to complicate the good news for you. Well, Mary, she, she hears this and she says, okay, be it unto me, just like you've said. She submits to it. If you want miraculous results, go along with the Lord. Agree with Him and say, as you say. You know, how many of you watched that, that old movie where the guy says, uh, as you wish, see? You already read my mind. As you wish. Wow, I didn't see that one coming out in the Christmas story. Princess Bride, yeah. All right, verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. This was her pregnant uh, aunt or relative, cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. This would be John the Baptist. Leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what He has spoken to her. I don't think we should skip over the fact that the first human being to recognize Jesus was an unborn baby. An unborn baby. All right, Mary, let's see what she says in response. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm, and He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering His mercy to Abraham and His descendants forever, just as He spoke to our ancestors. She is speaking back hundreds and hundreds of years before to the promises that had been given to her ancestor Abraham. And she's recognizing the faithfulness of God to do what He said He would do. In verse 56 it says, And Mary stayed with her about three months, then she returned to her home. So if, if Elizabeth was six months along, possibly stayed until John the Baptist was born, I don't know. And um, 
at any point, she then returned home. Now let's go to chapter 2, and it gives this, the account of them being born. Now, one of the things that I want to make clear, that in, in Christianity, there's a lot of um, misconceptions and just even outright fibs told about the birth story of Jesus. Some of it's because of ignorance, and we've just always been told this way, and so we, we sometimes get it wrong. So I'll point out some of those discrepancies as we go through here, and because it's important that you recognize and understand truth. Truth is established from the Word of God, right? This is what we are anchored into, is what God has said. And so God gave this, this, to, this account to us through, uh, through Luke. So in chapter 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, now, one of the misconceptions is this, that Joseph and Mary come riding in great haste into town on the night of Jesus' birth, and they're frantically searching for a place to, to batten down the hatches and give birth, right? And they knock on all the doors in town, and finally there's nothing available, so they end up in the barn. I don't think that Joseph was silly enough to take a nine-month pregnant lady on a donkey ride to go cruising around the country. And the next verse will tell you, will tell you why. Because it just simply says, while they were there. It doesn't say the night they arrived. See, that's all just stuff people made up. While they were there, the time came. So apparently, it wasn't the first day they were there. Let's just put it that way. The time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now this word guest room, that is properly translated. A lot of translations have that in. There was no room at the inn. The word inn means guest room. It's used for a common everyday house guest room, just like you and I would use it today. So it's not that they were knocking on hotel doors. And also, the fact that she laid him in a manger, um, many of those houses had on the lower level, they would keep the animals there. So it's possible they were on the lower level. Now, think of this, because they're being registered, it's a massive family reunion. All family has come back to register for this event, and so all the relatives' houses are overflowing, right? And so they wind up, whether it was a barn apart from the house or whether it was in a cave or whether it was actually on the lower level of the house where they would often keep animals. At any rate, that's where they ended up because of room and they, they used the feeding trough, the manger, for the crib. Verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field. Okay, let me say this too, because I know some people get hung up on this. Yeah, but he wasn't born on Christmas. Yeah, well, you don't know that and I don't know that, so there. <laughs> All right? I don't care when he was born. It could have been July 4th or 18th. The fact is, is we are celebrating his birth. Okay? 
So I'm not going to get hung up on, well, is this the right time of the year? Is it? There's actually really good arguments made for it being in the spring, and there's equally as good arguments made for it actually being Christmas Day. I've, I've looked at both sides of it, and I was like, man, both of them are convincing, really. But it doesn't matter. What matters is we're celebrating who He is, why He came, and the fact that we have God with us. That's the reason for it. So in, in verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people He favors. Or as many of you probably have memorized that line from the song, Peace on earth, goodwill to men or toward men. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Just as they had been told. Once again, we see Mary tucking away the Word of God into her heart, meditating it. And this is how you get results in your life. Find the Word of God where it applies to your life and tuck it into your heart. Meditate on it until it becomes truth that's alive on the inside of you all right let's go back over to matthew now and we'll continue reading what is normally associated with jesus birth the story of the wise men now this is another one of those things that is inaccurate in most times when the story is presented most of you are familiar with the manger scene joseph mary a donkey a sheep shepherds and camels right you see it out in people's front yard. Well, here's the thing. Those camels were nowhere near the manger scene. They were never there. Okay? They arrived a year and a half, two years later. And you'll see that here in the story in a moment. But again, people sometimes just uh, go with tradition rather than what the Word says. Alright, it says in verse chapter 2 of Matthew, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, okay, let's stop right there. First, um, how, many, how many know that usually we're told there was three wise men? Okay, it says wise men, so we know there was more than one. There was at least two. But there's nowhere that we can say that there was three. They gave three gifts, Right? In fact, historical accounts um, from other sources back at that time say there was up to a thousand in their entourage that came to town. 
and that these wise men knew what they knew because of Daniel. They came from the east. Daniel had been there, had prophesied. And there was a group of kings. In fact, Dr. Ron Charles, some of you know who I'm talking about, he has done extensive research on alternate historical accounts of this. And it, it is his firm belief that there was at least a thousand in their entourage that came to Israel. And they came as ambassadors, as wise men, as representatives of up to 18 different kingdoms. Now, the interesting thing about this is, and you'll see in a little bit when I read this, why this would make sense. Um, but they were pretty concerned about this because to show up unannounced is an act of war. Okay, so that will maybe make a little bit of sense as we, as we keep reading. So it says, wise men, whether it was two or a thousand, we don't know, but more than one, from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star as it's, at its rising and have come to worship him. By the way, if, you, if you're taking notes, you can look in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Um, that may be where the wise men's knowledge came from on the account of Jesus. <clears throat> verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Well, a couple yahoos from the east show up and say, oh, we heard there was a king born. is isn't going to bother anyone. Why would that? Maybe the king would be like, what? You know, there's an insurrection somewhere. But for all the people to be disturbed, that's where it would make sense that there was a large entourage showed up and they're like, what's going on, right? We don't know. We just know that Herod and all of Jerusalem with him were deeply disturbed by this. Verse 4, so he assembles all of the chief priests and scribes of the people and asks them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And he quotes Micah 5, verse 2. He says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. So he wants to know, and earlier it had said that when he was born, the star had appeared. So now he's, when was this? When's the exact time this took place? He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Now, notice here it says above the place where the child was. It doesn't, doesn't use the same word baby that it used in all previous accounts of him. Now, it's, it, it, this is the word for toddler. Stopped where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. So when he said, when was the exact time that star appeared? It must have been around two years ago. So two years old and under. He's keeping with the time of the star. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. By the way, you shouldn't, you know, some dreams might be, you know, just that dreams. But some dreams are from the Lord. Don't just discount a dream automatically. This is like in the first two chapters of Matthew, there were five different dreams in the first two chapters alone that were given by the Lord to, that shaped history. So when you have a dream, check in with the Lord. Did that mean something or is that something I need to just disregard? Alright, verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intend to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet that he might be called a Nazarene. So there is the account of the greatest gift mankind has ever received. And that is God with us. God with us. It was the beginning of everything is going to change. It was the fulfillment of change that was long prophesied. And when you fast forward, you look at his life, you look at the works that, in fact, go over to Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Here in Acts 10, 38, Peter is preaching a sermon. This is after Jesus has been, you know, crucified, has gone on. This is, um, let's see, 8 to 11 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Peter is preaching a message and he says this. He says how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. Because God was with him. There it is again. God was with him. And now God is with us if you receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you never leaves you and abides with you and is there to minister in you and through you. So what was, what was it that Jesus did while He was here? Under, the pow, under power and under the Holy Spirit, He went about doing, doing good. It doesn't say bad. It doesn't say sketchy things. Doing good. Good. He is good. God is good to all, is what the psalmist said. He is good. So he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. You know, the devil would like 
like to put everyone under tyranny. In fact, everyone is born under that tyranny. Some in greater forms than others. Some of its physical manifestations like illnesses and things like that. Right? Harassments in that way. But all of us were born under sin. Because when you go all the way back to the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and now that sin was inherited upon all of mankind all the way down to Jesus who is called the second Adam. The second beginning. Adam means what? Anyone know? Where's my Bible scholars? It's like the first man, I think is what it means. Something like that. First man. So Jesus is the second first man. Right? He is the second Adam, it calls him. And, and his purpose, he came, he did good, and he conquered the devil. He, everywhere he went, he displaced the devil. Every time he encountered him, at every turn, when the devil would crop up his ugly head by his works, by his nasty things he does, Jesus would address it and deal with it. And there wasn't once that he lost the battle. And when he died on the cross, it wasn't, it wasn't that he got beat. He said, I give up my life. No one takes it from me unless I choose to lay it down. And he was a sacrifice for us. It wasn't that they finally overpowered him and were just too much for him. He chose to, okay, at this point, I'm going to be the sacrifice for sin for mankind. Go over to 1 John 3. We're looking at why did Jesus come? It wasn't just so that we could exchange gifts and have a great festive time you know, in December. It was for a much greater purpose. We give gifts in honor of Him, or I hope you do. That's how I do it. right? I give gifts that's representative of the gift He gave to us. And so we give to each other. But it's not about the gifts. But in, in 1 John 3, in verse 5, it tells us, it says, He was revealed so that He might take away sin. He was revealed. Jesus was revealed so that He might take away sins. There was the sin problem and that is why He came. If you look down in verse 8, it says the one who practices sin is of the devil for the sin is, devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed. This would be Jesus. He was revealed for this purpose. What was the purpose? To destroy the devil's works. To destroy the devil's works. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. Destroying the devil's works. He was also... Let me go to... Uh, let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. In verse 9 it tells us that the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So if you are filled with the One who is the head of every ruler and every authority, that means there is no devil, no demon, no evil spirit that walks this earth that has any rights in you if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life. Because once you make Him the Lord of your life, you are filled with the Spirit of God. You now are far superior to anything the devil can bring to you or against you. Look down in um, verse 12 when you were buried. Actually, let's just start and go back to continue reading where we were at. In verse 11, 
You were also circumcised with him. Now, in, under the old covenant with Abraham, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with them. It was the reminder of God's covenant with them. So he's talking about the covenant God has made with us now. He says, You also were circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh, but it's the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with His obligations that was against us and opposed to us. See, all of us were born with a debt of sin. He erased it. He paid it. It's gone. Deleted it. Doesn't exist anymore. How did He do that? Well, He took it away. It says by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed. You know, if you were walking a back alley and someone came and put a gun in your face for whatever, for nefarious purposes, right? And either because you have some skills or someone with you has some skills, they take away his firearm. Nobody's injured, nobody's hurt. They disarm him. Are you now afraid of him? No. No, not at all. Because he, he doesn't have even the power to hurt you. He's been disarmed. Okay, right here. The enemy of your soul. He has been disarmed. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Him, in Christ. Triumphed over Him. The power of God is for you to walk in freedom as you make Him the Lord of your life. Use the name of Jesus. Whatever you face, the dark things that come against you, use the name of Jesus to take authority that has been given to you as a son of God, as a born-again child of God, use the name of Jesus to walk in victory. Speak to the problem. You know, if you think you got something spooky in the closet, you use the name of Jesus. And you say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. I don't permit you access to be even in my home. Get out right now. That spirit can hear you, and it must obey and yield to the name of Jesus. I know that we have some new believers in the house. And so for some of you that have been around for 100 years and doing this for 150 years, all right, you have to be patient. You have to be patient because uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep it real basic and simple, okay? And for some of us that have been around longer than others, we need to watch ourselves that we don't become complacent with that powerful name of Jesus but that we remember its authority and the right that we have as a child of God to use it and stand on it. Alright, I'm going to close with that and I'm going to invite Apostle Dale to come and um, share with us what's on his heart. Then you can lead us in communion and um, then I will come back up when you are through. We need a microphone. Praise the Lord. Oh, let me say a little bit something for the guests that we have here for us, oh, okay. with us. Amen. So, uh, Apostle Dale is the founder of this church, Church of the Word International, way back, um, well, back when the Dead Sea was still sick, I think. <laughs> Somewhere back there. Dinosaurs were still roaming around. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it was a long time ago over in Titusville, Pennsylvania, northwest Pennsylvania. And then through the years, um, the Lord moved them down here, planted this church here in 2006. Mm-hmm. And um, so for those of you that are new with us, that is the place that he holds in our lives here. He holds apostolic authority here. And uh, I submit to him, the Lord has blessed us with an amazing man of God. Thank you. In the modern... Thank you. In modern translation, apostle could be paraphrased, grandpa. (laughs) I was really excited we came home the other day, or not home, but came to Zach and Jill's house. And the newest and the last of the Mohicans of the Armstrong family, little Avery. How old's Avery? She's one. She looked up and said, pop, pop. I thought, oh, I don't think she'd said daddy yet. But anyhow... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not that I'm competing. <clears throat> Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are, are you all set to have a great Christmas? Are you all set to bless your families and be blessed by them? And, and uh, you know, and, and if you're alone, well, you're in a good place tonight. Amen. And I hope uh, Every believer here, we have our eyes open and our ears open. Let's make sure nobody's alone this Christmas. And let's make sure, as always, that sometimes the heart hurts for some of us on Christmas. For some, it's the worst time of the year. Did you know that? Anybody in here? For some, it's, it's a difficult time. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Or maybe they've encountered you know, some obstacle. Aren't, 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 it, aren't we given to compassion and care? Amen. So let's have our eyes open and our ears open to those around us. And I think that can be some of the greatest gift giving in, at Christmas time. Because we are uh, predisposed to give gifts, aren't we? And to bless. Hallelujah. So much good has already been said. And uh, Pastor Sid asked me to share a few scriptures and, and look at the communion elements. So actually, 1 Corinthians 11 is Paul's teaching on communion. And we're going to share the, the, the body and the blood, the bread and the wine, uh, the elements of communion that Paul very specifically declares he got this straight from Jesus. Now, remember, Paul wasn't one of the disciples. He didn't travel with Jesus for three years. In fact, he was an enemy of the gospel, perhaps like some of us when we were younger, opposed to what was going on. But whether it was his mother's prayers, like in my life, or, or some, someone else interceding somewhere, or just the grace of God, God was, was interested in Paul stopped him on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. And then, somewhere in there, uh, in appearances of Jesus to Paul, he learned the gospel firsthand from Jesus who is alive. You know, sometimes one of the things the Lord dealt with me years and years ago, as I was a teenager, the first relative that I had that, that that moved and went to heaven. Any of you have family and loved ones that moved and went to heaven? You know, uh, was my grandfather 
whom I love dearly. And I realized the Lord impressed it upon me that my view of Jesus is alive was very similar to my grandfather's in heaven. And, and I realized how religious that was or how limiting that was because my grandfather died and went to heaven. Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven. There's a big difference. There, there's, Jesus is a living man, a living God, a God-man at the right hand of God, but he's also here. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I. Now, when we receive communion, what you're going to find is Paul, we, we, to save some time, we won't read all the scripture. It begins in verse 23. But he says this very, very interesting in verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. And see, and see I want to point this out. There's no prescription as to how often or when we receive communion, which means you can receive it once a year or you can receive it every day. You know, uh, there, there's be led of the spirit. I know Smith Wigglesworth, the great Pentecostal preacher, uh, I, I read in his writings that he received communion himself every day. Well, that was what the Lord led him to do. I'm not telling you to do that. But tonight, we're, we're going to receive this together. And he said, as often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Well, he's going to come again. And, 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 and thank God for that. Jesus is going to return. And we look for the physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also see in this some other things at work. And we, and we can find that death as a principle is, is often a good thing. And it's overlooked among us often because we emphasize other things. For instance, the word forgiveness. When we, when, and I think you understand that, that when we come to the table of the Lord, if there's sin in your life, now's the time to get it out. A lot of times, I, I don't know, I was raised in a church that many people would not take communion if they had sin in their life. They felt they needed to get right before they would partake of the Lord's table. And perhaps that might be you tonight. I want to encourage you scripturally, no, you need to run to the table of the Lord. That, this is where forgiveness flows because this represents his sacrifice, his death, it represents his body broken for us for healing. It represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. But I want to even take it a bit further. See, we're showing his death. A lot of times in the church, at least when I grew up, uh, you know, asking God for forgiveness was a lot like paying off the speeding ticket to the trooper. <laughs> and I pulled right out on the highway wondering if I'm ever going to get caught again. Am I alone in this uh, very religious church? How, how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? And forgiveness is sort of like a, uh, okay, you're free now, go on. Here's your hall pass. Keep moving. But biblically, that kind of falls short. And that's what I'm saying. When we emphasize this 
forgiveness side. We, we take sort of a lax approach to what God wants to accomplish in your life. And there's some pressing on you need to do in this until he has come. See, he, he comes not just at the end of the age to wrap everything up. He'll come into your room at three in the morning and manifest his healing power. He will come in your life and remove the, the weight of poverty and, and, and financial stress and trauma that you've been fighting for years. This principle of death works up to a point declaring this issue till he comes. And one of the ways that this operates is the death principle. See, see your life, when God comes into your life, he doesn't change you like, like uh, I've, I've had some friends that would remodel furniture. You know, you rip out the old and you slap on some new, but the reality is it's the same old piece of furniture with some new stuffing and some new upholstery. You're not remodeled or refurbished in Christ. You've been born again from death to life. See, to fix the problems in your life, God doesn't just forgive them so you can pull out on the highway to see if you get caught again. God's answer to the problems in your life is death. He kills them. He kills them. The Bible says in Romans 12, Paul said, present yourselves a living sacrifice to God. It's a constant process of death and resurrection. We're to walk, Paul says in the book of Romans, as those that have been raised from the dead. And he, and he said it in the context of dealing with sin that comes at you. Before I came to Jesus, I had a lot of messed up ideas and I wasn't a nice person. I was constantly angry. I dealt with a lot of depression. Then I came to Jesus and he killed that man. I'm glad my wife never met that man. She wouldn't have liked that man. God's solution is to kill. Dale Armstrong died. The Apostle Paul died on the road to Damascus. People come to me with issues of habits. God wants to kill that. People have come to me with great burdens of memories they can't, get, they can't shake. God wants to kill that. I remember talking to a soldier who had done some things he couldn't get rid of in World War II. It's my first pastorate. I was completely unprepared. I had never in my life heard of PTSD. Since then, I think I'm going to write a book on it, actually. PTSD, praise the Savior daily. <laughs> but but he, he, always, he, he actually would put his finger behind his and point to the back of his head. He said, I can't get those pictures out of my mind. Well, he was, you're not going to fix that psychologically. The exit is death. And I'm not talking about suicide. I'm talking about that table right there. Tonight when we receive communion, I want to invite you to approach it a bit firmly and say, it's dying tonight. I'm putting it to death. 
Tonight, Dale Armstrong dies. Approach it in that manner because we, every time we come to the table, we show the Lord's death. And that word show in the King James for those Greek scholars, it's, it's actually the word katalageo, which is the most common word for preach. Did you know you're a preacher? When you take communion, you're preaching this gospel. I was wrong. I die with Christ. I'll be raised with Christ. Amen? Catalogeo. And I, when I saw this, I've never seen this before. This is something I got new tonight. Isn't the Bible amazing? And I'm running through the, the computer references and looking at this word. We're going to preach the death of Christ tonight. You're going to preach. You're a preacher. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Well, this is one of the areas where we follow him to his death. Hebrews talks about it. Chapter 12. It says to consider Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and he despised the shame. He put his life to death with the full intention of rising again in victory. And that motivates us. There's an end to the, the hell you've been going through. There's an end to the addiction. There's an end to the, the grief. It's in death. What a good time to turn into the new year in new life. So in that context, Paul in Hebrews, he says this, so lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and Let's run with patience the race that is set before us. So you've got something in front of you that you can't complete. You're not going to make it to the finish line and, and, and be able to say, I've done the will of God until you, you cut some things off. And that process of laying aside that weight, that process of stopping that sin that continually besets you, See, so you thought you were alone. You thought that's just because you're a really, really bad person. No, no, this was Apostle Paul's personal testimony. The Apostle Paul had weights that he had to lay aside. The Apostle Paul had sins that would continually be set. We lay, the, we lay them down tonight in death. Bitterness dies in this house tonight. Unforgiveness dies in this house tonight. Negativity dies in this house tonight. Griefs and sorrows that have held on far too long, they die in this house tonight. Strife dies in this house tonight. All kinds of addictions, let's, let's see them all die tonight. Addictions to prescription drugs dies tonight in Jesus' name. Everything that haunts and torments and 
destroys God's people. We just put our foot on the, on the head of the enemy. It dies tonight. Hallelujah. When I was young playing football, yes, they had football when I was young. Our coach would make us run in full uniform. We'd have to warm up before every practice. We had to run two miles to warm up for practice. He was nuts. I did not like him until I was about 30 years old. And then I fell in love with him. But I will never forget that after three or four practices, we do four practices a day in football camp in the summer. At night, we were allowed to take off our equipment and run. Oh, that feels good. You feel like you could run forever. You've just had four football practices and now, now we're going to go run. And you don't have that helmet on your head. You don't have those pads on your shoulders. You don't. Oh, I could run. Well, that, let's run in 2024. What will your life be like if tonight everything of the devil dies. <laughs> Woo! And run free. Hallelujah. Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood. This is covenant. This is agreement. Take. Wait, we got it backwards. I was just testing you. <laughs> Not really. I had it wrong. This is my body broken for you, he said. And then he gave thanks. Amen. And he said, take and eat. Eat all of it, he said. That means be healed tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your broken body for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And then he took the cup. I want you to pray. You, you can pray with your own mouth. You can pray silently if you're ashamed. But, but call out what dies tonight. Call out what weight you're going to lay aside tonight. Dale Armstrong dies tonight. Sid Rob dies tonight. On the authority of the Word of God in the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, you're not forgiven tonight. That which has hounded you and tried to drag you down in sin is dead tonight. Let's stand up and rejoice. 
Lift your hands and thank God you're alive in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Before we um, finish the service with worship, I want to tell you about two gifts that I have for you. I have two books that I want to put into your hands. And so what I'm going to do, I'll tell you a little bit about the books here in a moment. But what, what I'm going to do is when we close, Jen and I are going to be at the door. And um, so as people come out into the lobby and leave is where you'll receive them. And if you are here as a married couple, we'll give you one set. Um, if you are a single person, you get one set. And where we drew the line, we said if you're out of children's church, uh, we'll give you a, co a copy of each of the books. All right. And um, so do see us at the door for that. If you could sit down for a little bit, it'll make it easier to look around. You can get your dancing shoes on here in just a moment. Um, I'm not going to ask you to share a bunch, but why don't we bring uh, Josh and mom and dad, why don't you come up here? And I'll talk about this book first. And for those of you that are new here, you may not know their story, and so you can read about it in this book. But I was, just recently they released the book, and it's the testimony and story of Josh who was, you know, told he wasn't going to be here from day one. Hallelujah. And look at him. Now, now listen, I'm just going to be straight with you. It's not the most well-written book. It's not the most theologically best-written book that you're going to find on the shelf. But here's what this book has in it. It has the power of God in it. Alright, I read it. I cried as I read the book. I laughed and shouted and praised the Lord as I read the book. On your behalf, Josh. <laughs> yeah, the power of God in the story of how they've stood on the Word and their faithfulness and God's faithfulness to them as a family. So, we want to put a copy of this book in your hands so that you can, especially those of you that know Josh, um, it, 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 will, it will bless you. Hallelujah. So thank you for uh, allowing us to, to do that. And sometime soon, we're going to have you come up and, and share some greater details of testimony and, and we'll have a much more thorough time. Okay. All right. Awesome. All right. For the second book, you may be seated. For the second book, it goes right along with our theme tonight. It's called Jesus is Alive. Written by our very own Dale Armstrong. Where's the microphone? Did you carry it back with you? Here it is. Um, Dale, would you want to come tell us just a brief synopsis of the book, what it's about, how it came to be? <laughs> Um, I think the, probably the most interesting part is I started writing this book in 2001, wrote, wrote all of this, and then it got, got so big 
and I couldn't print it. The Lord would never let me put it out because the time wasn't right. I never understood. He just wouldn't let me release it. And uh, then, then the Lord said, divide it into three. So there's two more coming, but you got to read this one first. So someone said, I don't know if it was Karen, someone that's read it. Oh, I guess it was Josh down in Florida. He said, it's well marinated. I, I said, yeah, it's been marinating for 23 years. So enjoy it. Be blessed. Jesus is alive. Amen. 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 So after I had read this book and said, we're going to put Josh's story in, in your hands. After I had made that decision, then all of a sudden I had the wonderful surprise. Your book is out. So um, we're giving you a copy tonight. You can buy extra copies of either of these. If you want an extra ones of Josh's story, talk to Alan and Vera. If you want uh, more copies of this, then you can get them either on Amazon or from you directly or just Amazon. Either way. Either way. Okay. So you know how to uh, get some more copies of those. And these are CWI's gift to you. So Debbie has a few years in a row given me this honor to uh, present you guys. And I don't think I've ever done it without starting to tear up. Uh, so. Jenna said, "If you would, Pastor Sid and Jenna, if you just, just want to come up, this is a this is a gift from all of us here uh, at CWI, and uh, you know one of my favorite things about you guys is your your love and your passion for truth, and tonight was a great example of that. How we have beliefs that we've grown up with our entire lives, and sometimes they're not right, uh, and it may seem insignificant that there weren't actually necessarily three wise men." But it's the point that truth is truth. And, and it helps remind us that we, we need to make sure that we're in the Word and knowing what the Word says. Amen. And Amen. I speak, I'm sure I speak for everyone here that we love you guys. Uh, Thank you. And when I was, when I was just kind of thinking of, of what I would share, uh, what came up was Moses. Moses consistently interceded for his people. Um, and I'm not implying that we are the children of Israel, because <laughs> that's not a good representation. <laughs> but, but the leader that Moses was and the interceding that he did for his people, you got, we, we know that you guys do that. And, and we just love you and looking forward to many more years with you guys. So. Awesome. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Amen. So glad that you're all here, came out tonight. Very thankful for all of you. God bless you. You know, in a couple days, we celebrate the day that God decided to come down to the earth and to dwell with his creation. It's an amazing thought when you think about it. And he was born in a stable and surrounded 
by the creatures that he created. It's amazing the humility of our God to do such a precious thing. And I was dwelling on that today, and this thankfulness just welled up within me. How thankful, think about how thankful are you with all that God has done for you. Present tense, not even thinking about what the future holds, but right now. And I was led to Psalms 107. It's a beautiful psalm that starts off with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. Is he good to you? Then thank him for his goodness. And for his might, his mercy endureth forever. Has he been merciful to you? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Just think about all the things that God's done for you through this psalm. There's so many, I won't read them all, but they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of all their distress. He led them forth by the right way. Oh, that man would give thanks unto the Lord and for his wonderful works to the children of men. It's like a, like a longing from the Father's heart. Oh, that men would give thanks unto the Lord for his wonderful works. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Oh, that men would give thanks unto the Lord for all the goodness, all the wonderful works that he has done to the children of men. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of all their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. Again, all that men would give thanks unto the Lord and for all the wonderful works that he's done to the children of the men, of, of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Sometimes it is a sacrifice to be thankful. Did you know that? When you're in a, in a trouble of some kind, to give that thankfulness to the Lord can be a sacrifice. But he said, let's sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his word with rejoicing. Oh, that men would give thanks unto the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. The Lord loves it when you thank him because that comes from your heart. Amen. So what if we all stand up together tonight and with hearts of thanksgiving, hearts of praise, hearts of worship, in this place tonight, let's unify our hearts together in a place of thanksgiving unto the Lord, for he is so good. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The, the day that Jesus was born in that lowly stable started the timepiece of redemption upon the earth. And whosoever, it's open to whosoever would believe the story of Christmas, that beautiful day when Jesus 
the Son of God, came to dwell among us. Emmanuel. So this season is such a beautiful time to examine our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about where are we with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we begun that walk with Him, believing in Him, allowing your spirit to be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can walk out this great redemption with Him? And if you're in that journey, examining our life of where we are with Him, how are we walking it out? It's a beautiful time to get with the Lord. And Pastor Sid's been talking about examining our hearts and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So tonight, as we've gathered together, celebrating, putting God in remembrance of His beautiful gift of His only begotten Son that gave us all that opportunity to know the Father and to walk in that great redemption. Look around and look at who's with you, this beautiful, precious family tonight, this local body where God has planted us to be, to be iron sharpening iron, to speaking the truth in love, to help each other in this beautiful walk together as we all go home. So walk, turn around and spend some time in a few minutes that we have to love on one another. You know, our classic statement is, God so loved us. We love one another, right? We walk in that love toward one another, the vertical and the horizontal. So important that we do that. So God bless you all. The children stay in the church. We have a, a play tonight, and let's love on one another. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Christmas Eve Eve service. Well, we're glad to be here with you all. Is there anyone here for the very first time? we just like to welcome our guests. If you're here for the first time, raise your hand. We'll just clap for you. We won't make you do anything. Um, well, we're going to return the tithe to the Lord. So if you need an envelope for your cash giving, you can just raise your hand. And our ushers will make sure you get a card. And if you are giving by credit card, please fill out all the blanks. If you're making out a check, you can make it out to CWI. As we return the tithe, we just want to intentionally, we, we, we tithe because we love the Lord. And because we love him, we have a heart to want to honor him. And that's what we're demonstrating is hearts that love and honor the Lord. I know that you've heard it many times, but it bears repeating that the greatest expression of love is giving. Amen. How many know, I mean, we say this because of, well, the scripture that we sang about, Karen mentioned it, for God so loved that he gave. He so loved you and I, the world, that he gave. He didn't just think warm, fuzzy feelings. It was an action. So when we love, we have a desire to give. But you know, God's the one that created this law of sowing and reaping. So when he gave, let's say it another way, when he sowed a seed to the earth, when he sowed Jesus for you and I, he absolutely had an expectation to reap sons and daughters. You know, he sowed family, 
He expected to reap family, all of, all of us. Amen? We'll turn to Luke chapter 6. See, in the, everything produces after its kind. He reaped family. When you sow a seed of a certain thing, you're going to reap of that certain thing. This is true for any area of life, anything. So when we sow finances into the kingdom, we should expect to reap finances because that's the seed we sowed. Well, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, now this is, if we were to back up and read all this in context, this is, encompasses anything, any area of your life. It's actually talking about how you're treating others. Give, and then it says here in verse 38, give, and it will be, shall be. I mean, can you get any stronger? Shall be given to you. Well, how's it going to be given to you? It says, pressed down, it says good measure, pressed down, shaken together, Running over will be poured into your lap. Now, here's the key. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, whatever seed you sow in, in every area of life, that's how you're going to reap. That's how it's going to be measured back to you. And so we return the tithe because we love God and we honor him. We sow our offerings because we love God, we love his people, and we can absolutely expect to receive in kind with the seed sown. So let's take a hold of our tithe and our offering. Let's pray over that. Father, I thank you so much that you loved us, so much that you gave, that you gave the most precious offering, the most precious gift that could ever be given, that you gave us Jesus and so we just praise you for that. We thank you for giving us Jesus. We thank you for redemption. We thank you, Lord, the way you have changed our lives and brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we, tonight, Lord, we honor you with our tithe and our offerings. We present them to you. We thank you, Lord, that as we sow, we shall reap and that the tither's blessing is ours. And we thank you, Lord, for opening those windows of heaven for us and rebuking the devourer for our sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and people will give to the Lord. All right, in your bulletin we have uh, uh, the um, Richmond service taking place tomorrow at 1 o'clock. The address is... In the bulletin here, all are welcome. So Debbie mentioned to me that Pastor Joel of Faith Church told her that the lost and found section, I guess, which is above the coat rack, is going to be cleared out. So if you have anything of value that's yours, that's been sort of sitting around up there, it's about to go. So you might want to check that. Just make sure nothing there is yours because they're going to just clear that out and um, free up that space. The youth and young adult gathering. I know my youth have really enjoyed the youth and young adult gathering. Well, we're looking for host homes, um, specifically January. Of course, February and March, we're actually wide open. But they are in need of one in the near future for January. So if anyone has it in their heart to host the youth for a Sunday evening, um, it's always a lot of fun. If you want any more details on how that looks, talk to Alicia Schumann.
and let her know if you're able to do that. I did want to also mention that any donations, as always, um, any donations that are received through the end of the year will be post or will be dated 2023, even if they're not processed until, you know, deposited until 2024, it will be dated on 2023. So just thinking ahead for next weekend if anybody has questions. So, all right, well, I didn't talk with you, Kelly, but children are up next. Is that right? Okay, I'll give the mic to you. So we have such a great children's ministry here at Church of the Word, and we have some of our children from preschool all the way up through juniors who would like to share some song and scripture with you tonight. And also, I just wanted to say a very, very special thank you to all of our wonderful youth here who helped us out and in telling this, a simple story of salvation through scripture, which the children are going to be presenting to you tonight. So one Sunday, a couple, about a month ago, they uh, took a Sunday night when they got together and they had a lot of fun and they made some posters for us and really spent some time digging through the scriptures, which our children will be sharing now. So if you are in preschool, elementary, or juniors and are doing the presentation, you may come forward at this time. J, John 1-1. One, one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. E, Earth, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Be fruitful. Then God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. S. Sin. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, unto you, Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. F. Sinless, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness of God in him. I, in the morning, Mark 16, 2, 5 through 6. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. S. Salvation. Romans 10, 9, chapter 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A. Abundant life. John 10, 10. 
The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the fill till it overflows. L, Living Water, John seven thirty-eight through 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I, Isaiah 50, 50, 53, 4 through 5. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment was for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The value, Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. E, everlasting life, eternal life. First John 2, 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Jesus.